This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Places, everyone. Come on, places, please. We're ready. Get your morning off to a great start with Jeffrey Griffin on Triad Today. Weekday mornings at 7. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Glad to have you on a Monday drive where the NBA finals resume at 9 o'clock tonight. But just for now, let's put a pin in that because believe it or not, there was actually a more pressing NBA headline from over the weekend. The Charlotte Hornets have hired Warriors assistant and former Nets head coach Kenny Atkinson. And this hire, to me, is just another example of how in life, you're always sending messages out to the world around you, regardless if you intend on the messages to be sent, regardless if you intend to. The way that you dress sends a message out to people. The people that you choose to associate with, the places you intend to go, the activities you choose to do, people are always watching. By hiring Atkinson, the Hornets are signaling to the rest of the NBA that they're not ready to go for it yet. They're a ways away from becoming a contender. That's what Michael Jordan is saying. By the way, Michael Jordan, a couple of days after he reeled in his head coach, reeling in some fish from the Blue Rock fishing tournament that happens each year. This week it's happening in Moorhead City. That's what's going on right now. His boat, I think, is called Catch 23. Uh Uh-huh. Uh close to catch 22 and he were I think you get it think about what Atkinson's reputation is Atkinson's viewed as a player development guy a lot like James Borrego to be honest the other finalists that we know about who we know met face to face with Jordan was Mike D'Antoni Mike D'Antoni's not a player development guy Mike D'Antoni's a I'm going to play the best players on my roster. I'm 73 years old. I've won NBA Coach of the Year a couple of times. I'm wanting to compete. I'm wanting to contend. That's what I'm trying to do right now. And the Hornets decided to hire a less proven coach who's more of a player development elk. They're telling you they're not ready to win right now. Not ready to win anything significant, at least. Mitch Kupchak kind of conceded this a few weeks ago. This was the week of the NBA scouting combine when he was asked about expectations. Well, you know, the other thing we have to be careful about is, you know, thinking that we're better than we really are, right? I mean, we're we're not a team that's going to get into the finals, right? Um, You know, although Atlanta got into the conference finals a year ago, you know, I don't know how realistic that is. Um, what I'd like to do with this team, I'd like to get us into the playoffs, and, you know, and wouldn't it be great to, to win a round, right? And then anything after that would probably be gravy. So why not bring in the guy who, at the very top of his resume, got the Brooklyn Nets to the playoffs as an overachiever? Didn't win a round, but at least got them to the playoffs. You would think after firing James Borrego, and this was my feeling, because he didn't win in the play-in tournament, that they were trying to go for it, 
our expectations, our standards are now higher. We have the star point guard. We're going to try and go for it. Not the case. And so I'm a little underwhelmed by Kenny Atkinson being the guy. And since Atkinson has this player development MO, I'd also expect them to draft a couple of young guys next week. I think they're going to take, they're going to draft players at both 13 and 15. If you were going for it and you were going to be aggressive and hire a guy like D'Antoni, maybe you ship off those picks to bring in a proven player, like a rim protector. Or you trade off those picks to move up higher in the draft and take someone higher in the lottery. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. They also have two first-rounders from last year, James Booknight and Kai Jones. In addition to getting the most out of LaMelo Ball, which is probably the primary thing Atkinson's going to be tasked with, his primary job's going to be developing those four players. The two first-rounders he took last year and the two guys they're likely going to take this year. That quartet, plus Miles Bridges, could be the core of what the Charlotte Hornets are whenever they're ready to compete, if they're ever ready to compete. Part of me feels like, I wonder if this is too ancient of a movie reference, even though it's only about two decades old, Million Dollar Baby. The WD! Any idea what this movie is? No. Hillary Swank, Morgan Freeman, boxing movie, and Clint Eastwood is the trainer. And the knock on him was he was hesitant to give someone a title shot, to give someone a title fight, and it cost him his top boxer. That's part of the plot of that movie. I feel like Mitch Kupchak is Clint Eastwood. I'm just going to, you know, we're not ready yet. We're going to continue to develop, be a bit conservative with it, and maybe one day you'll be ready to fight for a title. I also have no clue what this means for Gordon Hayward. If you're rebuilding, is he really worth keeping around? My guess is his value is so low right now. Like, you're probably at an all-time low with Gordon. If you tried to move him, you, you might have to attach a draft pick to him just for someone to take his salary. And I think he's too good of a player for that. So maybe the thought is, well, let's start next season. Let's hope he gets off to a good start, plays to a borderline all-star level like he did a couple of years ago. And if he does that, who knows where the Hornets are in the standings, number one. But number two, the value might be driven up enough that somebody will give you something for him. And you can evaluate at that point. I think that's probably the most likely thing to happen. But this hire, it sends messages out to your fans, to the rest of the NBA, and that message for the Hornets pretty clearly is we're not ready to compete yet. We're not ready to go for it. On Twitter at WSJS Radio, if you want in, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. The WD, Will Dalton, the producer of this show, how about we get to the NBA Finals now? Tonight's Game 5. But honestly, I feel like I'd be doing you a disservice by moving on from Friday's game so quickly. One of the core pieces of our radio station is a guy named DJ Turner. You don't hear from him on air, but you've probably heard his voice on some commercials that we have. He's our production manager. He's the one that produces all the commercials. And the sound you hear on the station, a lot of it comes from him. He's also a huge Celtics fan. Well, DJ, he's mad at me today because he felt I spoke the Steph flu game into existence Friday. 
or I guess we can call it the foot game, whatever you want to call it, I think it was Steph's greatest playoff masterpiece. A lot like Jordan's flu game in Utah this weekend being an anniversary of that. Crazy to think that's that happened a quarter century ago. And think about how big of a statement that is. This is Steph's greatest playoff performance. Steph's going to be remembered as one of the 10 greatest players ever when it's all said and done. He already has three titles. He could add another to that this week. And that was his single best game? I don't think that's an exaggeration. First off, these are the NBA Finals. It's the biggest stage you can possibly be on. And the biggest knock, really the only knock that Steph haters have at this point is, well, he's never won a Finals MVP. Yeah, you've been the league MVP twice, and you've won three titles, but and you're the most prolific shooter ever, but you've never won the uh, Finals MVP. Think about how stupid that is. His 43 points are the most points he scored in a Warriors Finals win. What we saw on Friday. And he's been the best player in the series. I'd say by a significant margin. Now, if that doesn't mean if Boston wins that Steph should win Finals MVP. I think Jalen Brown's playing well enough that he would deserve that award if Boston were to still win. But that was as good as I've seen Steph Curry because that was the most Golden State's ever needed Steph in a finals game. The Warriors have been to numerous finals. I think this is the seventh finals that he's been to. Won 15, 17, 18. Lost 16, so this would be the sixth finals that the Warriors have been to. This is the most that Golden State's leaned on Steph. The first few, that was the strength in numbers Warriors. Now they only play seven guys. I think only four, possibly five guys scored in the first half for Golden State. Kevin Durant, not walking through that door either. Draymond and Clay, they're both past their primes. Like Steve Kerr is subbing out Draymond at this point, offense and defense in the final few possessions. That's where he at. he's at in his career. Plus, let's not forget, Golden State was on the road. Down two games to one in the series. And Boston is a generationally good defensive team. And it doesn't matter. Steph scores 43 on him. And if he doesn't summon his best game, Boston's up three games to one, and this series is over. And he did all of that on a hurt foot. The same injury that sidelined him for a month back in March was what he dealt with at the end of game three and played on in game four. Regardless of what happens tonight and the rest of the way, that is a performance that should live on. So anytime you have the idiots out there, even if Boston wins this series, it says, Steph's never won a finals MVP. Yeah, but he scored 43 against Boston playing with a hurt foot. One of the best players ever to play, and we saw his greatest playoff masterpiece on Friday night. Really cool deal. Your attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Those who know me know there are only two baseball teams that I love. 
East Carolina Pirates, who had a tough weekend, and the Baltimore Orioles, who are in the headlines for reasons that might be even more scary and frustrating than what happened this weekend to ECU. Perhaps we could get to that in a second, because right now we got quite a bit of Panthers content, Panthers news to talk about with longtime Panthers reporter and our good friend Joe Person from The Athletic, who joins us now. Robbie Anderson, it seems, is going to have a different jersey number. He's posted on Instagram that he's at Mandatory Minicamp. Didn't know if he would show. Turns out he's going to. And he's wearing the number three, not the number 11. Is Robbie the guy you're most looking forward to speaking with this week? If not, what is the story you're most interested in, Joe? Oh, man. Uh, Robbie's always entertaining. He... he <laughs> He's a colorful quote. Um, Robbie doesn't mind the attention on himself, as as we were reminded of again this weekend when he tweeted, uh, what day was that? It's all running together. Tweeted over the weekend uh, something cryptic about retiring. I guess it was Saturday. And within uh, within a half an hour or so, it, it torn it down, re- deleted it. Removed it, and uh, as you said, he appears to hit, to be here in Charlotte, ready to go. Uh, I don't know, man. There's a lot of interesting things. I, I, I mean, yes, do the Panthers need a, a bounce back and a big bounce back season from Robbie Anderson? Absolutely. But um, I want to see if Sam Darnold can build on his performance last week in OTAs. Again, all these should come with a caveat, which actually Matt Rule was quick to supply, pointing out last week that, hey, Sam looked great, but we should keep in mind this is in shorts and in practice, and Matt Rule suggesting uh, that that everyone needs to see it in the games from Sam Darnold. But uh, the offensive line, I mean, yeah, it'll be cool to go out there. You know, we've seen a glimpse of it at OTAs, but Usually for the mini camp, it is all 90 guys under roster, uh, under contract, uh, out there at least getting close to resembling actual football. I do appreciate Matt Rule's honesty last week on a few subjects, speaking really for the first time about how difficult it is to succeed a popular coach like Ron Rivera and what you just talked about there. It would have been easy for him to say, oh, yeah, Sam Darnold looks greatly improved and we expect a lot more from him this year. But adding the caveat in there that's obvious that coaches who are facing a lot of pressure might not be so apt to do adding those caveats of the situation he's currently in. But you had a report today, Joe Person joining us from The Athletic, who you can follow on Twitter at Joseph Person. Uh, Adam Schefter had it first, but you confirmed it, that Carlos Dunlap, who has been to a couple of Pro Bowls, 96 career sacks, I think he led the Seahawks in sacks this past year, he's 33 years old, is set to meet with the Carolina Panthers today. And this seems like only a good thing if Carolina is able to figure it out. What's the counter argument if you had to come up with one against signing a guy like Carlos Dunlap? Because I, I don't see much risk here. Well, right. I agree with you. I mean, the the counter would be that he's 33 years old and he might be looking for more money than the Panthers want to pay. Um for a for a, a potentially a rebuilding or a team still kind of sort of in the midst of a rebuild, um, I reported that no deal was imminent. That doesn't 
doesn't mean it couldn't happen down the road. I don't think it's going to happen today. That was not the impression I got that they were kind of going to bring them in, but, and, you know, kind of have a look at them and have the physical and meet with them, but, but we shall see. I mean, uh, they certainly need some production at that defensive end spot opposite of Brian Burns. I mean, they, they were never going to pay Hassan Reddick the kind of money that Reddick ended up getting in Philadelphia to the tune of about 15 a year. Um, they, they liked Hassan Reddick, but they just had too many other priorities, namely the offensive line that they were, they wanted to spend their money this winter. And so you're kind of waiting for somebody, you know, you've been, we've been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, in the meantime, Phil Snow has been suggesting guys like Marquise Haynes could be the answer. I mean, Marquise Haynes has been a nice situational pass rusher. Um, I mean, I think he's had three sacks and four sacks each of the last two years. I mean, it's okay. I don't, I don't think Marquise Haynes is ready to blow up, but some guys, you know, when they get to sort of 27, 28 years old, do. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Mario Addison, who was kind of, he was sort of Marquise Haynes his first few years, uh, sort of toiling in obscurity in Washington, special teams mostly, and, and then blew up into a, you know, a double-digit sacks guy. So they they hope Marquise Haynes could, could be that guy. I don't know. I just think I, I, they could sign uh, Carlos Dunlap. Certainly, I think Scott Fitter was in Seattle the year they traded for him. Uh, Seattle did uh, acquired him from Cincinnati. So there is a little background there, but I just can't help but wonder if they're looking for someone uh, a little less with, with a little less wear and tear on them and, and maybe asking for less money. I want to give you a lot of credit, Joe. Last week, you asked a terrific question, and great reporting is also having a little bit of a memory of what coaches have said in the past during the season when you might be in tunnel vision. Late in the year, you noted something Phil Snow said where in third down situations, namely maybe Etor Grossmatos, the second round pick from a few years ago, would be better suited inside than outside. And I thought it was really noteworthy that when he talked about edge rushers, guys who were going to supplement what you lose with Hassan Reddick, his name was not the first name that was brought up or the second or the third but then called himself like, oh, yeah, this is a guy we're probably going to need, but maybe more inside than out, which wasn't the reason why he was drafted. And bringing in Carlos Dunlap might even be more of a signal, regardless of what they're telling you, the actions pointing to, this might have been a miss as a second-round pick a few years ago. Could be, yeah, for sure. And, they, and he has not really forced their hand into making sure he gets on the field. I, I have made the point this off season that with the absence now of, or the departure rather of, of, of Hassan Reddick, that they really need to, you know, see what they have in, in, uh, Etor Gross Matos. I mean, he's played some, actually, I think his play time dropped, uh, in, in 2021, uh, from his rookie year, uh, when he didn't, even, I mean, he, he I, I want to say it was maybe like play a third of the snaps as a rookie and 25% of the snaps last year. So the point is, yeah, I mean, good players and, and he has had some health stuff, nothing terrible, you know, nothing requiring surgery, but I think he's a guy that had at least maybe in 20, a stint on the COVID reserve. I think he had a concussion if memory serves. Um, but it, it's time to see what they have in them. And, and, you know, 
moving him inside is 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 fine as you said i mean it's that's again sort of situationally versus a guy that you're expecting to play say 75 percent or 67 whatever the not two-thirds of the defensive snaps at really one spot at defensive end um but yeah i don't know i have i've made the argument that i think they need they need another piece there i mean i either Phil Snow is is kind of the the master, someone called him Yoda, kind of the Jedi master at at finding mismatches. But that, you know, that only gets you so far and that's fine, you know, on third and 20. Getting getting in, you know, blitz and bringing off, bringing Shaq Thompson off you. But can you get edge rusher? Can you get can you get penetration, you know, when you're playing front four on like second and seven? and you're not sure if it's a run or a pass. And that's what, you know, we, we haven't seen a whole lot out of that, out of Derek, both Derek Brown and Etor Gross Matos, to your point, the top two picks in that 2020 draft. Joe Person, since we've been on the phone talking with each other, uh, Jocena Anderson reported something that confirmed something that you said here, that you didn't expect anything to be imminent or happen today with Carlos Dunlap. She reports that, Dunlap is visiting with the Panthers today, begun with physicals, and it will continue tomorrow with meetings with coaches per league sources telling her. Also, we achieved something that's really hard to do in radio, but I'm always proud of when we're able to do it. We went 10 minutes without talking about quarterback. How about that? We figured out a way to do it. It's I didn't think it was possible, but we did it. Uh, always appreciate the time from you, my friend. It's good to hear your voice. You got it, buddy. Uh, and congrats on the uh, pending nuptials. Yes! There it is in your state, Virginia, South Boston, Virginia is where we're getting married. So I know you, I know you love the state of Virginia. It's close to your heart. Absolutely, man. I'll be thinking about you. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Phil Mickelson just spoke at the U.S. Open. A few days before they're set to tee that off and just a few days after he wrapped up the first week of live golf to recap what he said i respect you guys respecting the respect that i have for the pga tour which does not respect live golf but i respect the fact that they disrespect that to sum up the circle if i ever heard one Phil Mickelson said there, no, no, I think that's pretty easy to untangle. Well, pretty easy to understand all of that. But that's the right now. Let's not get too bogged down in the right now and too focused about what's ahead this week. I am getting married this week. That is something that I have written down. So, yes, I am worried about what's going on this week. But for the purposes of this segment that we do every week called Graham's Grades, we look back at the weekend and we recap things. By doing the most sports radio thing ever, attaching letter grades to things. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no education. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, Time for Graham's Grades. A through F. The grades, and we start with the grades that I tried to make at ECU, and I'm sure Will Dalton, the WD, made at Peace College. 
I'm talking about the A. A. Steph Curry's game four. It's about as good as you're ever going to see Steph. And it happened after he sustained an injury. When you needed him the most, he dropped 43 points in the game. It was amazing. Going into the fourth quarter, seeing what Steph was doing, and all I was thinking is, I think Boston's actually playing better than Golden State's playing. And it just doesn't matter because of one guy. I think Boston played better. They are the better team. And they are actually playing better than Golden State. But in terms of clutchness and who your top player in the series is, it just doesn't matter sometimes. And it didn't matter Friday because Jason Tatum opened the door by playing poorly for Steph to have the game he did and for Golden State to steal one in Boston. B. We go from the Celtics to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Notre Dame baseball shocked the college baseball world over the weekend. Tennessee was the best team. Nobody really gave Notre Dame much of a shot. And Notre Dame blitzed Tennessee in game in game one on Friday. And then Saturday took one on the chin in a great, by, by a great margin. And yesterday, Tennessee had this freshman who was awesome. Threw like seven innings. He was great. And then Notre Dame started to get some base runners on. They had an opposite field home run that just snuck over that short fence they have out there in right. And the next batter was their best hitter who hadn't had a hit all day long, Brandon. And he homered to left, a no-doubter. The pitcher knew as soon as it drew contact. He did the old, I'm just going to turn around real quickly and look away because he just knew what happened. And then Notre Dame ran away, and they hit in Game 3 to go to Omaha. And they're the only ACC team to punch their tickets to Omaha, despite the fact North Carolina hosted, Virginia Tech hosted, and you would think Louisville would have, would have had a shot against Texas A&M. Close games for both the Cards and the, and the Aggies, but the Aggies took both of them that would dance. C. The Hornets hiring Kenny Atkinson. It's a C. It's not bad. It's not great. It's about what we expected. When the day that James Borrego was fired and we talked about candidates for the job, I think the first name that we brought up was Kenny Atkinson. It just made sense. Okay, well, he did similar things with Brooklyn that James Borrego did in Charlotte, except he got to the playoffs and he's with the Warriors. Okay, we can bring this guy in. It's a C. I would have liked for them to take a little bit more of a swing. That's not what this is. They bring in Atkinson, which is fine. It might be a bit of an upgrade over James Borrego. I don't know that for sure. I felt D'Antoni would have been a sure upgrade and Quinn Schneider, certainly, but there's no reason to believe that Schneider would have been interested in the job if the Hornets reached out. D. North Carolina baseball. It's a disappointing finish, but not a disappointing season. Both those things can be true. You lose both your games at home. The first game, 
you just couldn't muster anything offensively. The second game, you're battling back. Vance Honeycutt's making terrific plays in the field. You tie the game, but then Arkansas walks it off. The better team won. Arkansas, they were deprived of the – they were the best team going into the tournament last year, and NC State knocked them off on their home field in Fayetteville. They didn't go to Omaha. So many of these guys were motivated to get there because of that, and North Carolina was in a position in April where we didn't even know they'd make the ACC tournament. They were 8-13 and 13 in conference play and closed the regular season 20-4, and four, won the ACC tournament title, and won a regional and got the host Supers. So it's not by any means a negative season, which is why this is not an F, but this weekend was certainly a D when you're at home and you never led at any point, I don't think, in the weekend. F. My East Carolina Pirates. There it is. Don't pile on, Will Dalton. Sorry. I've already done enough, apparently. Yeah, you did. 7-2. We're hanging out in downtown Greensboro. and Will Dalton's like, I think I'm going to leave now. We'll see ya. And then right as soon as he leaves, Texas comes back and wins it. And then yesterday was just a slow, deliberate, long, painful, inevitable death. When you're East Carolina and you've got the University of Texas dead to rights, you better capitalize because you're not going to get a school like Texas on the ropes twice. And ECU didn't. So they lose, and it's heartbreaking. I really feel for those guys. And Will Dalton knows me. I do know you. You do owe me. I don't know how you're going to. Oh, I owe you. So you said I know you. No, no, no. You owe me. No, no. You, cost, you cost my team <laughs> Omaha. It's funny, too, because when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm tired. I have a few the things. The two other people we were with were like, oh, well. Yeah, they said it was my fault, too. 100%. I didn't, I didn't start this. They said, oh, oh, yeah, as soon as he left. It's like during a no-hitter. Like You don't change course during a no-hitter, do you? No. You know this. You're a baseball guy. Yeah. I should. And, and the, the funny thing is, like, when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm exhausted. I have some things I need to go knock out, like, now. I'm like, I guarantee he's like, you can't leave. Like, <laughs> we're on a run here. So the thought entered my head. Oh, the thought was in my head, too, when you left. I was thinking of it's 7-2, it it though, so maybe we're going to be fine. And <laughs> I do feel terrible about this. Yeah. I really do. You should. <laughs> if, you're, if that was you throwing a line out to say, I feel bad, now comfort me, my radio wife, Josh, no. Oh, no. I'm mad. You need my comfort. You're, you're sleeping on the couch. Oh, Okay. Tonight, so. you're on the couch because my team lost. And yesterday was brutal because all I was doing was waiting for the game to restart, and you had the five-hour weather delay after an hour delay. They played 20 minutes after an hour delay, and then they sit for five hours as if none of them have weather technology to tell you what's up. I've been through a delay like that before. But But... I mean, obviously not at those stakes. I get I it. I get it. But what I'm saying is, why even start the game at 5? Yeah. If there's a risk that 20 minutes later, you're going to be halting things for five hours! B believe me, I, this is a battle I've constantly had. Could just play Monday like other teams are playing today. Yeah. Like <sighs> people. Frustrating. 
So during that delay, I watched both Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and Anchorman. That's what I watched during the delay. Look at you go. Because I knew what was going to happen. It was 4 nothing at that point. I wanted to get cheered up by something. Did you think about me when you watched Anchorman? No. Anchorman's the most... It's the godfather of comedies. Just because you hadn't seen it and I made you watch it doesn't mean I think about you when I watch these things. Oh. I did think about you when I turned on uh, Wedding Crashers on Saturday, though, because mm-hmm. you will be watching Wedding Crashers this week. Yes, I will. For the first time. Not a lot of that movie holds up. I hadn't seen it in a long time. Today I just kind of figured that it wasn't going to age well. Nope, that thing doesn't age well. <laughs> that puppy don't age well. It's crazy to think that that movie's only 15 years old. Crazy. Time flies. Mm-hmm. So I watched a bunch of dumb 2000s comedies. That's what I did this weekend. I molded it all around baseball. I'm glad I didn't go to Greenville and take your advice. How bad would that have been? Oh, I'm going to ride you down to Greenville and now. watch Saturday? You really you were. I almost listened to you. All this advice. Oh, but did I have you close? Yeah. And if I would have gone down there to watch that game firsthand on Saturday, and then yesterday sit through all of that and come back at like, like the, the, the final pitch was thrown at 1.30 in the morning today. Well, since we're playing on superstitions today, because it's my fault that you lost, it maybe, I, maybe I can make the argument if you went, you would have won. I hate you so much. I've got three big NBA questions I want to ask Brian Geisinger before he likely trounces me and outprecise the Geis this week. BG from accsports.com knows more about hoop than pretty much anybody we bring on this show on a regular basis. Shoot him a follow on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. Let's start with the Hornets hire of Kenny Atkinson, Warriors assistant. This is something we've been talking about for weeks on end. We knew he was a front runner all along. He is the choice. I hear a lot of people saying James Borrego 2.0, given the background. What will Kenny Atkinson bring to the Hornets that James Borrego could not? Yeah, I mean, people are wanting to lump those guys together, I think in part because of some of the previous relationships, but also just they're known as like player development guys. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe a more like sort of like established coach that you're bringing in for a win now type of program. But then that makes the, the hiring of Atkinson interesting, I feel like, because whether Charlotte's roster is ready to like win now, whatever that sort of like, you know, vague uh, franchise outline philosophy may, philosophy may be, um, you know, I, I'm guessing that they're going to want Atkinson there for uh, player development as well. But I think mostly you're bringing him in for not just like a fresh voice in the locker room, but also the hope that he can turn around Charlotte's defense similar to how, what he did with the Brooklyn Nets. And Brooklyn was never like a defensive juggernaut under Kenny Atkinson, but he did in the span of basically two years, take them from the worst defense in the NBA, arguably the worst defense in the NBA, to being a borderline top 10, middle-of-the-pack defense, which is good enough for Charlotte. 
honestly. Now, he did a lot of that by also playing what's called drop coverage against the pick and roll and having Jared Allen go play below the level of the screen and close off the rim. Think of how what Mike Budenholzer does with Brooke Lopez and Giannis and Tadakumpo in Milwaukee. So can Charlotte bring in the personnel to do that? And can Atkinson improve the defense like that? And then I also think you bring in someone like Kenny Atkinson to develop young guards like he did in Brooklyn with Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and Karis Levert. And you're turning that on LaMelo Ball, James Booknight, whomever else Charlotte might bring in this offseason. It is. You mentioned drop coverage, which brings us to the NBA Finals, Game 5 later tonight. It's surprised some people that the Celtics against Steph have run a lot of drop coverage, but I think one reason you do it is to try and prevent Steph from getting downhill because when we saw on Friday night, when Steph gets downhill, he's able to get to the line and kick out uh, for some open threes for some of his teammates. It really opens up what Golden State wants to do. I've seen a lot of commentary since Friday that the Celtics have been uh, defending poorly Steph Curry because Steph went off the way that he did. I went back and rewatched a lot of things they did. I just give more credit to what Steph was able to do than establish blame to Ime Odoka's team and the way that they defended. Have you had any issue with the way the Celtics have approached defending Steph? No, no. I mean, I think on I think early in the series, on some of the drop possessions, Al was Al Horford, the Boston center was like a little too low. And they've had him playing up higher. So it's like, it's a drop versus Steph, which looks differently, uh, you know, uh, as drop coverage versus, you know, any other ball handler in the world, with maybe the exception of, you know, someone like, you know, Dame Lillard or or whatever. Um, Look, Boston, I think, has actually done a nice job defensively in that, in this series so far. And I think, like, the performance in game four from Curry was just, like, what he's going to do every so often. And there's nothing you really can do about it. And like he had everything going, the drives, the pull-ups, the relocations. And like once he's cooking like that, like you're toast. And Golden State rode him um, as much as they've ridden him in a long time. I saw this earlier, 48 uh, possessions for Steph Curry with him as the pick-and-roll ball handler in game four. That was the most for any game from him, for him since 2017. So Golden State sort of like broke character a little bit. I don't think Boston's going to blink defensively because when they play the drop that way and look, you're like against Steph, you're going to want to change it up. You're going to be able to switch and you can't just show him the same look every time they even started trapping him at times in game four. Maybe we'll see more of that. Although that could also unlock Draymond on the short roll. Um, but they're, they're going to, they're trying to turn off everyone else's water and then let Marcus Smart or Derek White fight over the screen, navigate the screen, have Al drop a play up as high as he can, and just try to pinch Steph. Um, I thought Boston lost that game because their offense just fell apart uh, at times. Um, and obviously Curry went nuts. But So I think for the most part, Boston's plan, game plan has been sound. And honestly, I don't expect that many adjustments from them uh, heading into game five on that side of the court. Brian Geisiger with us here azcsports.com. One more thing before we get to out precise the guys. New Orleans Pelicans executive David Griffin said on a podcast last week that extending Zion is a no-brainer. And Zion has been quoted in the last week saying that he absolutely plans to stay in New Orleans long-term. I agree with the idea that extending him is a no-brainer this offseason. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know, you know, there has not been great at times in terms of managing injuries or science, 
health, the fluctuations with, with his weight, the mistrust between the organization and Zion's camp and vice versa. I get all that. But you got to remember, like, you and I saw Zion up close. We know, we have an idea of what kind of talent, physical force this guy can he be. He was an all-star last year. And he was a, he was like a borderline top 10 player in the league last season, playing, you know, point forward as a, you know, a 20-year-old, essentially. So this guy is, this guy's Shaq, but he's got handles. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's, he, can, he can be that kind of, like, transcendent player. And if you're in a place like New Orleans, you're a smaller, non-traditional market, you draft these guys, you have their bird rights. Like, this is what you do. The whole point of getting the first pick in the 2019 draft was so you can draft Zion and then extend him, excuse me, as soon as that option becomes available. Yeah, there's no alternative. Like, I mean, what is the alternative? Let's not bring Zion back. Who are you getting? Yeah, you can't, it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And if you're Zion, it makes sense because you get a, like, this is your first chance to get a big, big payday, you lock in at that. And if for whatever reason you want to, you want to leave, like you want to go to market X or big city Y, you can always like try to, you know, want, you know, whine and demand a trade later on down the road. You know what I mean? So it makes sense for both parties to come together. Now, what I will say is it does seem like New Orleans, the way they closed the season and the way they played in the playoffs, pushing the Suns around Willie green, like getting buy-in and, getting contributions and all these other good young players, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, the third Brandon Ingram making strides, CJ McCollum in there now, like as a leader in a, in a, you know, quasi all-star caliber guard. Now you add Zion potentially as the missing piece. Just the vibes are very, very good in new Orleans. I think that has also helped seemingly bring these two parties together as the off season continues to unfold. I've really enjoyed the front half of this conversation. I got a feeling I'm not going to enjoy the back half of it. <laughs> Let's play out precise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. The WD. Yes, sir. Here we go. So game five is tonight of this series, which I guess would make this the three-year anniversary since Clay Thompson had his big injury in game five against the Raptors back in 2019. Game six. I think it was the night they lost, right? I think they lost in six. No, I think it was game five that he got hurt. I got that right? I don't know. DG could maybe split the tie. Do you remember? I actually do not remember. Also, yeah. that feels a lot longer ago than three years right? ago. That is oh, great. It? I'll double check it. <laughs> Everything <real quick>. does. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that brings us to our first question here. How many more, or excuse me, how much less is Clay averaging in this finals compared to the 2019 finals, his last Ooh. active finals? It was game six. Oh, was it? Game okay. six. Okay. Yeah, uh, boy, he had some nice defense on Jalen Brown when they needed it the other night. That was huge. They needed that level of defense for Clay Thompson. I thought that was big. He also had a big shot for them too. But man, it, the the individual defense was there when they needed it. Um, I'll say a uh, difference of ten. I got six point seven. It is eight point seven. Woo! Oh, woo! He averaged. Oh. 26 on the dot in that series, and he's got 17.3 a game uh, in this one. Yeah. I thought I could steal one there. Not <clears> so close. much. Uh-huh. Very close. All right. Question number two. Celtics, one of the top defensive teams in the league this year, and, you know, a big 
Another sign of that. Robert Williams leads the postseason in blocks. Al Horford is number two on that list. Question is, how many blocks total does Robert Williams have in this postseason? BG, I hear people say that this might be the best uh, NBA defense we've seen in a decade. Do you buy into that type of talk with this Boston D? It's tough because, like, context is important. And even if you're just – even in the span of just 10 years, it's like the game has changed incredible amounts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, they're definitely in the conversation. They're pretty incredible. And it just shows you – like, it's a testament to Steph for what he could do, what he did in game four, and that he's actually been able to turn Al Horford into a pressure point. So, like, I don't – I haven't done the historical analysis on it, but they're definitely in the conversation. This is an excellent – a-plus defense. How many blocks for Robert Williams this postseason? Ooh, you got to remember he's missed some games, too. Um, special rim protector talent, though. Um, let's go Let's go 40 blocks. I've got 66. It is 33. I, for- <laughs> I forgot he missed the games. So, that's a problem. <laughs> I hate this game. All right. I really do. Yep. What's next? The man of the he weekend. Is, he is awesome, though. I, I love Robert Williams. Carolina awesome fans player. agree, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. The man of the weekend, Steph Curry, dropped 43 on Friday night. Many people arguing today, was that his best final finals performance he's ever had? Numbers-wise, it was not. How many more is his finals high than the 43 he had on Friday night? This one might be um, easy, maybe not. I know this I'm one. Gonna okay. go, I'm going to go uh, five. The answer is four. It's 47 oh. points. It is four Damn. right on the dot. See, I actually knew one. I get to know that feeling. It's the first time I know the feeling of <laughs> Brian Geisinger, like when he just knows something right off. I did off. that just for you. Thank you for that. I mean, I don't want your pity, but I appreciate that. That's been uh, Out Precisely Guys. On the way out. I was talking with you about some of the – we have a local morning show now, uh, Triad Today. Jeffrey Griffin's hosting it. As a lifelong deacon in terms of being a fan uh, of Wake Forest growing up in the area, that voice is pretty strongly associated with that building in your childhood, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, look, he's been there for – He's seen he's seen the good and the bad of Wake <laughs> of Wake basketball over the course of a couple of decades, but that's the guy who was there for every Chris Paul game, and you know it ties you you know it can be a through line from what Steve Forbes and company are building now to what Skip Prosser did in the early to mid aughts. That's pretty cool, legendary voice, and a guy that I I very briefly got to meet um, after a High Point University UNC Asheville game a couple of months ago and was able to give him a salute for being sort of like the voice to some of my uh, favorite childhood memories going up, going to the uh, the Joel back in the day. Follow him on Twitter, at BGuys underscore Bird. His coverage of the NBA, you can follow right there, accsports.com as well. He's the, I'm the second smartest person, potentially third, depending on who you ask, in this segment. And because of <laughs> Jeffrey being here, I'm now maybe at best the second best voice in terms of sheer <laughs> pipe capacity on this station too. BG, always appreciate the time. Talk to you next week. Yeah, you guys be good.